Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Divine love, open our hearts and minds to your light in every person that they might truly become our teacher. In Christ's name, amen. And please be seated. In Epiphany, the church basks in the light of Christ revealed to us. But contrary to our expectations, we find that the light of God shines out from the marginalized as God listens attentively to the voices of those who cry out from the wilderness. You see, God is revealed to the oppressed in ways that the powerful do not know. And so our salvation, in fact, you could say every person's salvation is necessarily wrapped up in listening to the voices of the quote-unquote other. This year, we again pick up our sermon series, Voices from the Wilderness. As you may recall, this sermon series situates us as attentive listeners to theological voices that cry out from the wilderness of oppression and injustice in our society. Last week, Pastor Ben introduced us to the voice of Muharista theology, which gives voice to the Latina experience of God. This week, we'll explore a few passages in Scripture that invite us into the way of Muharista theology. So just to be clear about what happened last week, last week, Pastor Ben introduced a new voice. And so this is how we're going to go about things for the next several weeks. Ben's going to introduce us to a voice that we haven't really thought much about or heard much from. And then the next week, we're going to explore the soul of that voice as we see it in the scriptures. And as a reminder of the voice, the Muharista voice that Ben shared about last week, rather than a focus on up and back, the Muharista voice is focused on down and forward. That is to say, rather than a focus on objective truth, right, that, that somehow comes to us from up there in the heavens, rather than that, there is a focus on down, into the muddle of lessons that come to us through daily experiences. And rather than a focus on historical authority, that is to say, back, the orientation of Muharista theology is forward, attempting to understand and see what God is at work doing today in the present. So down into the muddle of lessons that come through daily experience and forward, attending to that which God is doing in our midst today. As you probably know, there isn't a Latina voice in the scriptures. The scriptures were comprised by Jews spanning 900 years uh, from the 8th century BCE all the way to the 2nd century CE. And so this second sermon on Muharista theology intends to expand on the soul of down and forward as we see it in the scriptures. 
Now, before getting into the down and forward of this new theology, I want to begin with a caution and a parameter. Here's the caution. Our first reading from the Hebrew scriptures was from Genesis chapter 9, in which Ham, one of Noah's sons, does something. Uh, We're not quite sure what it is that he does, but while Noah is in a drunk stupor, his son does something. Noah then wakes up, curses not just his son Ham, but his future grandchild Canaan, saying, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. And if you were here a few weeks ago, I actually spoke on this passage and shared about how, throughout history, this passage has been used by white people to deny rights of and to enslave black people. We talked about how heartbreaking, ungodly, and truly antichrist this is. And so here's the caution. People in power are inclined to use the Bible as a weapon to harm and to hinder the full inclusion of marginalized people. That's the caution. I'll say it again. People in power, people who are considered the quote-unquote norm, are inclined to use the Bible as a weapon to harm and to hinder the full inclusion of marginalized people. You see, people in power have a proclivity to take obscure passages, kind of like Genesis chapter 9, the ham story, and to use them against those who are different. Using a contemporary example, many heterosexual Christian leaders use passages like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19, which is a terribly obscure and difficult passage. They'll also draw on single verses found in the book of Leviticus, also terribly obscure verses that are difficult to understand. They'll take passages like that and they'll use them to deny queer people full inclusion on every level. That is happening today. And it is horrifying. It is ungodly and it is truly anti-Christ. And this is why I loved what Ben said last week about self-disclosure in Mujerista theology. It's just so very honest, isn't it? It's so honest to say, hey, this is who I am. It's honest to say, these are my experiences and particularities and convictions. And it's honest to say, because of who I am, I want to acknowledge as best as I can that I have a particular perspective and particular biases in this world, in my life, and it impacts even how I read and understand the scriptures and the gospel. And this brings me to a necessary parameter, especially for people like myself who are white and straight and privileged, both societally and religiously. And and the parameter is this. If a biblical interpretation increasingly solidifies a particular person or group of people who are white and straight and privileged, then we are missing We are absolutely missing the heart of God for this world and the light of Christ found to reside in every person. Theology, if it be truly good, must increase the rights and belonging and agency and voice of those who are different from whatever is and from whoever is considered the norm. And I'm not being radical here. This parameter, I believe, coheres with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about who is blessed. It's the least of these. It coheres with the gospel for the least of these that Jesus proclaims in Luke chapter 4. And it aligns with what we see happening in the early church, which is very much capturing the soul of Muharista theology. So let me explain. The early church was not comprised of Gentiles. 
This is important for Western Christians to realize. The early church was not comprised of Gentiles. The early church was comprised of 100% Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus' disciples were Jews. All of the authors of the books in the New Testament were Jews. You see, Christianity was formed. It was put together. It began with Jewish women and men. And this brings me to this morning's second reading from Acts chapter 11, which reads, Now, the apostles and the believers who were in Judea, Jews, they heard that the Gentiles, non-Jews, had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter, a Jew, went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, other Jews, criticized him saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men, non-Jews, and eat with them? This is what the earliest Christians were saying to Peter. How could you possibly go and spend time with non-Jews? Then, the text tells us, Peter began to explain it to them step by step. Brief note, remember what I just said about parameter. Theology, if it be truly good, must increase the rights and belonging and agency and voice of those who are different from whatever is and whoever is considered the norm. You see white Christian men using Genesis 9 to harm and to enslave black people is just one example of how privileged people use the Bible to control and to exclude those who are different. And right here in Acts chapter 11, we're seeing the exact same propensity by privileged people in power. First century Jewish Christians did not want and could not accept the reality of Gentile Christians with them, a part of them, co-working, co-living, co-worshiping, co-sharing meals together. They just couldn't do it. And so when Peter, on whom Jesus said he would build the church, when this Peter shared a meal with non-Jewish followers of Jesus, they critiqued him. They criticized him. And the leaders of the early church asked him, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? And I love, I just love the next line. It's found in Acts 11, verse 4. It's a, it's a verse that we should all memorize. You probably have all of these verses, if you grew up in the church, all of these verses that you memorized. We should all memorize Acts chapter 11, verse 4. Here's what it reads. Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying. And Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying. Isn't that beautiful? I believe it's the soul of Muharista theology, which, which is storytelling. Storytelling. Rather than up, these are the absolute truths about God and life in this world. And rather than back, this is how we have always thought and behaved. And so we just need to double down and continue to think and behave in these ways. Storytelling. Especially storytelling about or for or by the marginalized. Such storytelling is how privileged people become capable of growing and transforming more and more into Christ-like people. And so, Peter goes on to tell them his story. And it goes like this. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. And there was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, 
for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The spirit told me to go with them and to not make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He told us how we'd see the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is also called Peter, and he will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as they began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. That's really important. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that, gave, that he gave us when we believed in the Lord, who was I that I could hinder God? I love everything about this story. The first thing that I love about this story is how it depicts the stubbornness of religious people. I mean, Peter's incredibly stubborn, isn't he? Think about how wild this story is. Peter, on whom Jesus says he's going to build the church. Peter, a devout follower of God. This very God visits Peter in a vision. Peter's God visits Peter. Peter's God visits Peter. In the vision, he sees unclean animals descending from heaven as if on a picnic blanket, and he hears God say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter, being so godly, can you feel the irony here? Peter, being so godly, says no to God. Why? Well, because according to Peter's experiences leading up to this moment, it was not godly to eat unclean food. And so the same vision occurs again. Peter sees unclean animals descending from heaven as if on a picnic blanket, and he hears God say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter, being so godly, again says no to the heart and pleasure of God. And the same vision occurs a third time. A third time. Do you see what I mean? We religious people can be so stubborn so stubborn that in our attempt to be godly, we actually deny the, deny the very heart of God in this world for today. After the same vision for a third time, Peter wakes up. He hears Gentile men calling his name. They invite him to their boss's home in Caesarea. An important detail here. Caesarea was a major Greek and Roman port city. In other words, it was a very non-Jewish city. Because of this, we can only imagine that Peter is still struggling of the idea of going with them. Because according to his customs and norms, traveling with and conversing with and sharing a meal with Gentiles was not okay. And yet as the story goes, Peter heard the Spirit tell him to go with them and to not make a distinction between them, Gentiles, and himself, a Jew. I think we should memorize that verse as well. Acts chapter 11, verse 12. The Spirit told him to go with them and to not make a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Peter then travels to Caesarea, enters Cornelius' house. While Peter is talking, everyone in the house begins to speak in tongues. Just like Peter and his other Jewish disciples did on the day of Pentecost. This is so important. You see, othering, 
Or, or perhaps we could call it polarization. Do we have any polarization today? <laughs> polarization is the inability to see any part of yourself in another. I really think that's the heart of polarization. And in this story, Peter bears witness to the other, encountering the divine in ways that were familiar to him. He saw himself in his own experience in the other. And it was this very experience that altered his understanding of the world. This is the second thing that I really love about this story, the persuasive power of a person's experience. Experience is powerful. Not up there theology, absolute truth, and, and not back there theology that comes to us from history, but the muharista theology of down and forward experience that moved Peter's heart. It altered his mind. It turned him into a Gentile advocate, demanding the Jewish Christian leaders recognize Gentiles as part of Christ's kingdom on earth. Storytelling and experience. Storytelling and experience. That's how hearts are changed. It's how minds are altered. It's how privileged people are transformed into advocates, allies for the marginalized. More so, it's how the privileged come to see the divine and to learn about the divine through the quote-unquote other. Storytelling and experience. It sounds a lot like a sacred story and a common table that animate life by love, doesn't it? Pearl Church, as we read our sacred story through our particular lens, let us not forget the Muharista caution. People in power are inclined to use the Bible as a weapon to harm and to hinder the full inclusion of marginalized people. And with this in mind, let us never forget the invitation to diverse tables. Diverse tables, which are the context for privileged people to have their hearts moved, to have their minds altered by the voice of the other, whoever that is today. And let us pray. Divine love, open our hearts and minds to your light in every person, especially the light in those who are so different from ourselves. May we know them as teachers and listen to the lessons that they have to share with us. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.